Welcome to the Consumed Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, Striving Together, part two of a series by Pastor John entitled Recapturing the Gospel. For any further information about this series or the ministries of Consumed Church, you can check us out at theconsumedchurch.com. So today's message is Recapturing the Gospel Part 2. It's striving together. Sometimes we talk about striving in, in our uh, theological circles. We'll say, oh, well, we shouldn't strive. You know, striving is a, is a Christian curse word, you know. But actually, in the book of Philippians, Paul actually um, exhorts the church of Philippi to strive together for the faith of the gospel, suggesting that it is every believer's uh, vocation to actually carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so last week when I started talking about what is the gospel, uh, it, it was a little bit different than maybe you've heard it presented before, maybe you have. We talked about the word uh, euangelion, which is the Greek for gospel, uh, which is where we get the word evangelism comes out of that word, or evangelical, which uh, we all get nicely stuffed into that envelope and identified uh, in public as evangelicals in the Christian world. Um, but what does it mean for us? I, I think that when we think about um, our relationship to the gospel, and, that, and that's what I seek to do, that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to do, is to redefine and solidify us in our relationship to the gospel. I think that when we think gospel, we tend to gravitate towards um, egocentric versions of the gospel. In other words, stuff that's all about my salvation. It's all about uh, the benefits that I get from the blood of Jesus and how this applies to me and my salvation and my freedom and my promise of eternal life. And I really feel like that we need to branch further past the egocentric, which I'm not even saying that in a negative sense. I'm saying that that's definitely part of it. But to go from where we see everything about ourselves in our relationship to the gospel to an altruistic version, which is, to, is outward, an outward view of the gospel, our relationship to an outward expression of the gospel. So we're going to go from myopic, which is looking up close, to holistic, meaning the complete story of what the gospel is all about. Are you all in? Yeah. All right. So, you guys, as the pastor of this church, I know I have it deep down in my spirit. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have a sense from the Lord of the amazing thing that he wants to do and is going to do He's already begun doing in this body. And we talk about revival. We are a revival, uh, revivalist movement. And we look at the past and see the revival movements of the past. And I'm telling you that I really want to zoom in on and the Spirit, Holy Spirit wants to define and save the things that He wants to keep from those revivals. What is it about those revivals? Uh, that made them so explosive and expressive and changed the world 
and actually keep those and let the things that were about that generation be with that generation so that we can have ours. I, I know it. I can feel it. I can see it that we are going to get noticed as a church. I mean, what God is going to do in and through this location, this geographic location, and through this particular group of people is really, really exciting. It's really exciting. It's very special. And it'll be that each and every one of you will put your stamp on what God is going to do. I really believe that people from all over the world are going to come here because they're going to wonder what in the world is going on over there. Because they're going to hear of the miracles and the signs and wonders and healings that take place. But I feel like when we talk about revival and we talk about miracles and healings and signs and wonders, we almost skip what really makes that work. Now, I know that we can call on the name of the Lord and anything like that is always possible at any point in time. But I feel like the Lord wants to transfigure uh, us, so to speak. He wants to do a work in us so that it's part of who we are. It's normal. Is anybody in for that? Now, I feel like what he's saying is that this revival will be demonstrated just like the original euangelion, the gospel. So last week I talked about the fact that the gospel is very specifically oriented to a kingdom that is coming. So think of um, empires and nations that take over. So some of you, who all was here last week and was able to kind of follow track with me. I know I was a little rusty. I'd been out of the pulpit for a month. But so a gospel is not specific language to Christendom, okay? Because back in the day, everybody knew that the gospel was an announcement of, guess what? You're about to be boarded. Everything about your culture and your lifestyle is about to be affected. And we're going to come in and make the whole world a better place, but we're going to utilize all of your progress and all of your talents and all of your resources towards the greater good. Okay, so that the gospel was actually the declaration. It was the town crier. It was the, the, the person that went ahead to these communities before the king showed up, because the king can't be everywhere all at once, right? Before the magistrate showed up and even before the administration was fully in place, there was somebody announcing, hey, guess what? Glad tidings, good news. But it's a specific kind of a good news. It's not just any kind of good news. As far as the gospel, we're talking about the word euangelion, the gospel. So that when we say the gospel is good news and we preach it sometimes like it's all everything good, guess what? It's not good for everybody necessarily. It, it should be, but not necessarily. It's glad tidings of a coming kingdom that will change everything. And so that when we preach the gospel, we have to keep in our understanding. Is everybody tracking with me? I know I rattle off fast, but I'm, I'm just trying to make sure everybody's tracking. When we preach the gospel, when we talk about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about the coming kingdom. We're talking about when the king returns that's already been established, like out on the battlefield and out on the front, the war has been won against the enemy, okay? And, and so uh, all things will be summed up within Christ so that all of our achievements, all of our progress, all of our resources, everything about the earth will actually be put in order in and through Jesus Christ and to His glory. Yes. 
So I used Colossians chapter 1 a little bit to talk about that uh, last week. There's your recap. But where God is taking us and what I feel like is my dream and my call when we did Destiny Finders is that to steward and even father a revival that is sustainable. Not one that's a flash in a pan that lasts for six months or a year, but that is actually one that is multi-generational and multicultural. Well, that's a bigger nut to crack than just... So we can have, we can have incredible meetings where we invite the Holy Spirit. I love it, and, that, and that's what we do, where the power of God shows up and begins to wreck people. And I'm, sign me up. I'm all in for that. But what I want to see is beyond that where the, the wrecking actually translates us into kingdom people to where it, it doesn't just stay inside of a church building. It begins to burn all of the whole neighborhood to where people are changed, to where the church gets back on track. Because today, people are telling the story of the gospel in a mocking fashion. And last week, I read from Philippians where Paul said, I, I don't even care, just the fact that the gospel is getting out there. But some people actually tell the story so as to cause us grief. It's time for us to recapture the gospel. The basis of the demonstration. So this is, this revival will be built on demonstration. Just like the gospel when, because revival, evangelism, gospel, those are intertwined. Okay? We can't have a revival without the gospel, without the good news the good news of the coming kingdom. So in other words, rather than just having all manner of pandemonium going off, the two need to be married again. Y'all get what I'm saying? That we would have the actual announcement that goes forth, that everything's changing. And without boring you to death about church history, uh, the, the way in which doctrines had developed and kind of shifted us into a place where we've kind of lost the, that combination because you know when Jesus came that's what he did before he ever preached a sermon he said repent for the kingdom of God is in hand and he went around healing every kind of sickness and every kind of disease there was no brokenness that was off limits that he couldn't touch and heal and he was demonstrating it but you have to know that that same power that he demonstrated was based in the love of God and so right now I feel like the Lord is just saturating us in our ability, like Paolo just prophesied, saturating us in our ability, opening, expanding our hearts to be able to accept and receive the love of God so that it's, we're a conduit of the love of God. So the love of God being demonstrated. So when I say that this revival that is coming upon us is going to be demonstrated, but it's going to be a demonstration of the love of Jesus. Amen? And guess what? You're all players. <laughs> You're all going to be a part of this. He doesn't just do it on... Celebrity Christianity, I'm telling you, is backing its way out off of the stage. It, it just That is not the way that God intended this to be. That there would be one or two special people that we say, the man of God is here, and the rest of us pay homage and go, yeah, amen, but there's no activity in the life of the church. That That is not the way that God intended it to do, to, intended it to be. In the love of Jesus, 
that will be demonstrated is Jesus is giving himself to the world. God so loved the world that he, what? He gave his son. So at the very center of the love of God, it is a love that gives itself away. And guess what? Jesus is still giving himself away. And you go, oh, wow, that's, you know, my, my version of the gospel that may be egocentric or myoptic, myoptic means that he lives inside of me. And if he's still giving himself away, there's this connection that we have to make between how do we get out of the way and allow him to, through us, give ourselves away? Because that's not natural, right? It's only caused by the Spirit. So, striving together. That's the name of the message. And I made an acrostic so it would be easier for you to remember and myself to remember. There it is. This is what striving together is. Striving together for the sake of the gospel. Consecrated. Rallied. Obstinate. And suffering shared. So I don't have five points. There's four points. That other was just an intro, okay? <laughs> the, the, the last two I, I coupled together. So our text for the day, guess what? We're only going to read three verses. Much rejoicing in the house? No. <laughs> last week I read a lot of scripture. And uh, sometimes I don't know if I'm overwhelming people with uh, lots and lots of scripture. I know you guys love it. but So Philippians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, and I think we have it on the screen. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, 27 through 30. And this is just a few verses down from where I'd shared last week in Philippians. In his letter to the Philippians, you remember that the Philippian church or the church at Philippi was like precious to Paul. He says, you are some of the only people that have actually partnered with me in the gospel by taking care of his needs and such when he was in prison. But Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. And he has this to say, verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So this is a call to unity. This is a church that is already unified with him in purpose, and yet it's an exhortation to double down in unity, like to really get it. And I feel like we are in a place where it, it matters, and I've shared this in a couple different um, um, groups, like my home group and also in, in our core team, our leadership team, that I just feel the Spirit of God exhorting us, like beseeching us, saying, get a hold of this. Like, get a hold of this unity thing where you 
have the same, that you're of the same spirit and of the same mind. I'm going to break that down in a minute. But strive together for the faith of the gospel. I, I think that it matters because when the Holy Spirit falls and all manner of chaos happens, and that is going to happen, you guys, where we're going to start seeing miracles and healings and stuff like on the normal. It really does make a difference as far as it being sustainable that the body of Christ, the body of believers, the host, so to speak, that is hosting this revival, that we're of the same spirit and of the same mind, that we're saying the same things and that we understand each other so that there won't be any division so that the devil can blow it up. I say the devil so that we can blow it up because usually revivals that, that uh, uh, sizzle or fizzle, fizzle out, it's usually somebody in the leadership structure got sideways with somebody else. There's division there and it just erodes. That's the, the, the closest thing to erode. What, what is that scripture in um, the one about unity that we like to, is that Leviticus? About Aaron's beard and the oil? That on, when it, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together. That it's like the, the, the oil that flows down Aaron's beard. It's the, the anointing is actually on our unity. That doesn't sound like celebrity Christianity where skinny jeans, smoke machines, and big screens. Or somebody gets to be super impressive. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, God uses all that stuff too. But I'm talking about a sustainable burn that is multi-generational, that the Lord will come back and say, well done, good and faithful. I want a part of that. I don't just want to do that. I want to see all of y'all. I don't want anybody that's under my tutelage, so to speak, to show up and go, well, I just thought that we we're supposed to be persevering, holding our breath, waiting for the Lord to come back. So let's go to the acrostic. What do I mean by striving together? What is Paul talking about striving together? So consecrated. This matter of consecration, be ye holy as I am holy. <clears throat> we have to understand that we call to holiness and consecration not because it, our salvation depends on it or because God's going to be more pleased with us or less pleased with us. Now we do it for the gospel's sake. For the sake of the gospel. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, your way of life be worthy of the gospel. The, the, the point in that is that if, if we are all connected and one of us is out here doing something shady in business, it actually damages the, the message of the gospel. God's called us to actually walk in integrity for the sake of this announcement where we say the kingdom of God is coming and everything changes. If you have that coming out of your mouth, and yet at the same time, you're doing devious things in the background. Everybody knows you're phony. It doesn't, you don't, you clearly don't believe what it is that you're saying. It hurts the whole entire message. Y'all get that? It's not going to make God love you anymore or love you any less. It's not about that. That's not why he's called us into holiness. What was that in Psalm 23 that Paolo just read? He gives us righteousness for His namesake. All those songs we sang today, I love it when the Holy Spirit does that. 
All those names, those songs that we sang today was just about how powerful His name is. Your name, your name, your name. Well, we bear His name. The first part of 27 says this, 27a, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Ooh, come back here. My iPad blanked out. So that word conduct uh, in the ESV, I'm using New King James, but the word conduct in the ESV means uh, is translated manner of life. Polita uomai. It's where we get the word politics, the same root. It means to discharge your duties as, as a citizen. Administer the affairs of a state. So in antiquity, uh, when this word was popular and used all the time, one's responsibilities as a citizen were regarded as the most important thing in life to which the free citizen gave his total allegiance. So when Paul starts talking about us being ambassadors for Christ, it carries this idea that we're actually like an embassy. That as an ambassador sent out of the embassy, that we are announcing in, the, in, in this idea of the proclamation of the gospel, the coming kingdom, so that people can actually come in and uh, find safe harbor there. So something cool happened this last week. I got to minister to a guy. And it was, it was so sweet. He actually had, um, had had cancer and just had his prostate removed. And uh, I was actually just talking to somebody else, talking about this very subject matter. And the fellow walks up. It's like object lesson time. And just full of spirit. And I stuck my foot out there and I said, oh, brother. And this isn't somebody that I know that great, you know. But I said, hey, if, if you got something like that going on, just text me, I'll pray for you. And he was like, and I knew that was my, my hook. He said, he nodded his head like, yeah, I could do that. And so as the conversation went on, I just said, can I pray for you? And he took his hat off. And man, I laid hands on him, and it was just like I was right here. And this is in a public place. And the, the, just the spirit flowing, the fire of God declaring healing over his body and all that, and he begins to shake. And then he grabs me and bear hugs me when it's over, you know, and he's got tears in his eyes. Now, this is a fellow that I had known to be a real burly man's man, not the kind of person that you felt super comfortable approaching like that, but the, the time that I, the first time I ever met this fellow was on a phone call. I never met him before. And a mutual person uh, it was a business deal going down, but a mutual person had actually required of him to do something, um, you know, to make an insurance claim that wasn't actually a, a valid claim for the uh, sake of me getting paid and this other person getting paid, uh, but he was kind of triangled into it. And when I found out, I called this guy back and I said, hey, I'm a Christian. I, I just, I don't do that. Like, uh, please call your insurance company and tell them you decided to pay out of pocket and I'm going to pay for it myself. I'm gonna, this is a freebie. Of course, he was like, oh, cool, because he was relieved of the burden because someone else put the burden on him that he needed. This was the, the way to handle his mistake was to file a claim that really wasn't valid. Does that make sense? Well, it mattered 
it actually mattered that my integrity stood up no matter what. Like, I don't even know this guy. I'm just talking to this guy on the phone. But see, fast forward 10 years later, and I knew the guy a little bit in between. I, I was like, whew, this guy's got a lot of hurt and a lot of stuff going on, right? Fast forward 10 years later, and I'm able to be there and minister to him in power when I said, can I pray for you? In his heart, he's like, that's a man of God. I'll receive that. You know what I mean? If I had went along with some crooked insurance scheme, he, he would have been like, yeah, come on. Like, do you, you see what I'm saying? Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel is going to be demonstrated. So for demonstrations of the gospel, of the love of God is what he experienced. I don't know if he got healed or not. I'm going to keep up with him from here on out because he's got more, he had to go in for more tests or whatever. But I know that he met God in that moment. Like he knew he met God in that moment. And I'm going to get into that in a minute, but there's this thing that we can do where we get out of the way and let Jesus take over and people need to encounter Christ. And they won't encounter him if we don't actually embody him. We're ambassadors. We're an embassy at all times. Amen. So that's why we go after holiness and consecration, why we do the work of sanctification, allowing the Holy Spirit to walk us through all the stuff that the Bible says that we ought to have going on in our lives. All right, so C, consecration. R is rallied. Unity in Him. He is the rally point. The second part of that verse is stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving for the faith of the gospel. Now this is a hard thing to swallow. How many know that, that unity is about like uh, herding cats? can be. If you've ever had a group of people that you're trying to get, not just to agree on dinner, but to actually be of one spirit and one mind, striving together for the same goal. That's quite a task. I'm telling you that it, it requires a rallying point in Christ himself. Not, not what would Jesus do, but what is Jesus doing? Christ himself is the rallying point. So looking at these words, spirit is pneuma. It's character and power. It's the part of us that is possessed of the power and knowing, desiring, deciding, and acting. And then the mind is psyche, which is the breath of life, the soul, one living being. There's only one way that we can be of, it's your breath in my lungs. Come on, right? That's the only way that this works, is he himself is the rallying point. God is calling us away from a gospel that is all about head knowledge into a gospel that is actually delivered and demonstrated through the person of Jesus Christ manifested in your flesh. There's no other way in that we're, that's the only way that we could do this together. It's because Him and only Him unite all things are brought together, reconciled through His cross and through His blood and through His person. So Christianity has to move past our cultural theories and our uh, um, our ideas about what we think Christendom is about. Uh, the gospel has to be a place where 
He is where we rally. Does that make sense? We're not trying to be like Jesus. A lot of times we say, well, the point of consecration is to be more like Christ. No, 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 no. You're not trying to be more like Christ. Stop trying to be like Christ. Manifest Christ. Like your relationship with him where he indwells you and he fills you. So yes, all of that whole, like I had a whole series coming about the ministry of Jesus, right? We came from uh, learning about inaugurated eschatology to this place where we carry on the mission and ministry of Jesus. And the Lord said, because I got a whole thing about the ministry and mission of Jesus that's coming. And I think that when we get to that place is when stuff's going to start really shaking in this house. I'm telling you. But before I could get there, the Lord said, oh, no, hold up. We're going to talk about indwelling first. And so I'm pulling all of this. I'm not throwing that out like, oh, that was yesterday's news. No, all of that has to come along with us into this idea of recapturing the gospel. All of these concepts are married together. That as we step into the ministry mission of Jesus, we only can do that through his indwelling, through his presence. There's, There's no substitute for it. Listen, to be in communion with Him, we're going to take communion here in a few, but to be in communion with Him is to understand that you are a cup, or you might be a canvas, be another way, to, or you're a pot, you're a vehicle, you're a vessel. There's some Christian theology out there that talks about how you're just desperately doomed as a sinner, that you were born wretched as a sinner. And I'm telling you that you were born with the propensity to sin because you're a cup. You're a bowl, you're a dish, you're a pot, you're a canvas, you're a vehicle. You're a carrier of something. And that's why there's all this talk about don't worship other gods, don't do idolatry, because you're a cup, you're a bowl, you're a dish. Are are y'all understanding what I'm saying? We're actually made. So last week I talked about Imagio Dei, the actual image of God, that it's not descriptive so much as it is prescriptive. It's a calling, it's a vocation that we have to actually carry God into all of the world, to represent Him as ambassadors of another world, of the world that will ultimately take over and heal and correct every broken thing and everything that's wrong. So to be in communion with Him is to allow Him to fill us And all the promises that we see in the New Testament about being filled with the glory of God, with all the fullness of God, those are the things that we need to focus on. Not this, I I need to just accept the fact that I'm rotten and I'm always going to be rotten. You're not rotten. You were never rotten. Only when sin got a hold of you, it made you rotten. But when Christ came and forgave your sins and removed your sins and reconciled you to God, you're never rotten again. Unless you decide to throw Christ off and go back to that. But if we have a gospel or an understanding that we're rotten, then all that does is give us an excuse to keep on sinning while we wait on Him to come back and make it right. No, He's actually made you an agent to change the world. And that's why the gospel matters. That's what the gospel is. It's an announcement of everything changing. And we embody the gospel. Oh. Now, unless we get unity confused, last week I talked about 
the image of God and how huh, emperors and kings and warriors had always seized upon the opportunity to take advantage of man's progress and bring it all in for their own glory. That was the broken imaging of God. How it started with a legit... Uh, I did the acrostic that said Abba. It started with relationship, that there was a legit calling that God has given us as, as a humankind uh, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to, to uh, take dominion. All of those things are real so that, that God ordained that to be that way. But when relationship was broken with God, it changes everything. And the blessing actually comes through relationship, right? So remember that from last week. And I did the acrostic Abba because the relationship that you cannot separate this reality that God is Father. If you take that out and make God just like this, uh, I don't know if, what's the right word, this amazing, uh, untouchable, super holy, um, transcendent, all the words that he is, but just as a creator and a deity and you, you, um, divorce that from the fact that he's a loving father, you get all kinds of weird stuff in your theology. So I want to, uh, at risk of losing you, I think I have your attention right now. I want to read um, an excerpt from a book that I'm reading right now. And it's got some big words in it, so brace yourself. I'm asking you right now, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would allow us to absorb what you're saying through the words of this book. And if you're taking notes, this fellow's name is Miroslav Volf, and his book is called Exclusion and Embrace. And it was heralded as the foremost authority on the subject of forgiveness. And so he's talking about universal forgiveness and healing of the planet and it's really amazing but it's it's one of the more challenging books I've ever read uh, but he starts talking about unity and he's talking about how at the Tower of Babel remember last week when I talked about how man separated from God with remove the relationship part that at the Tower of Babel man actually decided to uh, do his own version and not to spread out, but to gather together and to kind of control all of human effort and advancement and progress to that point, right? This guy's got a way with words of saying this, but that's the way I said it. This is how he says it. And how it was actually healed and repaired in the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost, all right? So that's the subject matter. So he says this, Humanity, which still speaks one language, is plagued by fear of being scattered abroad. This is, he's talking about the Babel people. Humanity, which still speaks one language, is plagued by fear of being scattered abroad and is driven by the desire to make a name for themselves, to counter the threat of disintegration and to triumph over insignificance. Do you realize that apart from God, that's like the human condition? There's a threat or a fear of disintegration, of losing everything, and the need to triumph over being insignificant because you don't know you have a father. They build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, a single place, a single tongue, and a single tower 
will provide the pillars for a centralized political, economic, and religious system with universal pretensions. Humanity will be securely unified and great and manifested, sorry, manifestly great. From God's perspective, the endeavor was doomed to failure. With a good deal of irony, the narrator, talking about Genesis 11, probably Moses, describes how God must come down, quote-unquote, come down to see what was meant to intrude into God's heavenly courtyard. Not that that was actually possible, but that's what they thought they were doing. When God disapproves, it is because of the inherent violence and godlessness of all imperial projects. Imperial architects seek to unify by suppressing differences that do not fit into a single grand scheme. They strive to make their own name great by erasing the names of simple people and small nations. This is still going on. It's always going on. And the only thing that doesn't do this is the kingdom of God. Hence, God confused the languages and scattered the imperial architects abroad. God opposed the totalitarian thought that nothing that we purpose is impossible and interrupted the totalitarian project to centralize, homogenize, and control. Differences are irreducible. Political, economic, and cultural centers must be plural. Unity ought not leave scattering, quote-unquote, scattering behind. Without preservation of differences, without multicentrality and dispersion, violence will reign. Sanctioned by a justice designed with no other purpose than to keep the homogenizing power in place. God forbade transparency and made univocity impossible. Sorry about the big word. God destined humanity to incompletion, the impossibility of finishing or totalizing. So even though God made us that way originally, that apart from Him, apart from relationship and the way that we, not just relationship connected rightly to Him, but to one another, it turns into this. And it always has and it always will. And there's only one answer for it. I like that. God destined humanity to incompletion. When I told you that He said, fulfill the earth and subdue it, that that meant to bring it to its full completion. Right? To, to utilize everything about it. I said that last week. God destined humanity to incompletion, the impossibility of finishing, of totalizing. The Babylonian, this is key, the Babylonian ascending movement of piercing the heavens that pulls up everything into a centralized homogeneity, homogeneity has given way to the Pentecostal descending movement of pouring from the heavens which, like rain, enables each of the varied living beings to burst into new life. The tower at the center that outwardly controls the whole circumference is replaced by the spirit that fills all by descending upon each. I'm going to read that again. The Babylonian ascending movement of piercing the heavens that pulls up everything into a centralized homogeneity has given way to the Pentecostal descending movement of pouring from the heavens, which, like rain, enables each of the varied living beings to burst into new life. 
The tower at the center that outwardly controls the whole circumference is replaced by the Spirit that fills all by descending upon each. Are y'all still with me? I hate it when guys read read stuff to when we're preaching, but this was so good. I'm like, I, I can't remember how to say all that. Uh, when the Spirit comes, all understand each other, not because one language is restored or a new all-encompassing meta-language is designed, but because each hears his or her own language spoken. When the Spirit comes, all understand each other, not because one language is restored or a new all-encompassing meta-language is designed, but because each hears his or her own language spoken. Pentecost overcomes the confusion and the resulting false scattering, but it does so not by reverting to the unity of cultural uniformity, but by advancing towards the harmony of cultural diversity. Notice who speaks in other languages. The Lucan report of the events reads simply all, meaning all the disciples. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. So Peter's interpretation, after the event flushes out, the miracle of transcending broken communication is the fulfillment of a prophecy by Joel. And you all know that in Joel chapter 2, it said, In the last days it will be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. The Lucan claim that all spoke, all quote-unquote spoke, contains a critical edge. We need to hear this because there's so much confusion today in our political climate. I said last week as I ended that I love the fact that our political climate is so polarized right now because it's ripe for the gospel. Because what we think ought to be the gospel, maybe we're getting involved in the wrong message here. But it needs dialing in. The Lucan claim that all spoke contains a critical edge. Even those who had no voice had been given a voice. Whereas the tower seeks to make people not see and not speak and sucks the energies out of the margins in order to stabilize and aggrandize, aggrandize the center, the Spirit pours energies into the margins, opens the eyes of small people to see what no one has seen before, puts the creative words of prophecy into their mouths, and empowers them to be the agents of God's reign. Or, agents of God's reign is another way of saying the ones that carry the gospel. At Pentecost, all receive a voice, and all are allowed to sound it in their native language. The miracle of Pentecost consists in universal intelligibility and unhindered agency in the midst of social and cultural heterogeneity. heterogeneity sorry. All right, that's enough of Miroslav. That I mean, this guy, every, that's like one paragraph. <laughs> Everything about that book is like that. But basically, he's saying this, is we need to understand that when Paul is asking us to be of one spirit and of one mind, struggling together or wrestling together for the, for the faith of the gospel, he's not talking about one of us dominating and identifying what that looks like necessarily. He's talking about, the, remember, to bring us back into our point, the rally point is Christ himself, the manifestation of the person of Jesus Christ. In the Holy Spirit, you don't lose your identity. Your identity comes alive. 
And I think that for generations, we've had a, a mixture between the gospel of what we felt like Christendom was and actually the gospel of Jesus Christ by conquering smaller and weaker and less vocal peoples and squashing them into our ideas. And that's why we see this kickback coming from them all. And so that a lot of the ways in which they kick back, I would say, are, are not pleasant and we don't like them. But I think that if we were actually able to hear the humanity in them and we actually carry the, the living Christ inside of us that is more concerned about the actual gospel of God, not just trying to apply Christian principles to everything, but the actual healing and restoration of brokenness in, in people's lives, you're going to see something very different begin to happen that actually gives life and expression that the Holy Spirit would hit that one, yes. and that one, and that one, and all of the reacting that they're doing that we don't like that is very unpleasant will be healed in the person of Christ. Yes. He is the rallying point. Does that, that make my point? <laughs> we live in Him where He is, and He lives in us. I've said this before, where we live. If we're seated in Him in heavenly places, this is easier than I'm, than, than it, it's not only easier, it's the most remarkable, amazing way to live that I have ever discovered. I never, ever, ever want to go back. But that we can actually dwell in our fellowship with Him, with Him and the Father and the Holy Spirit, and continue to grow in God in that secret place. That's where all this goes down, where you spend your time with the Lord. You're there, seated with Him in heavenly places, and He's moving and interceding and doing things through you so that you're praying down to the situations that our body is walking around. I like it. Has anybody seen the movie Avatar? The concept of an avatar is, is all over the place now. What do we have? Emojis and all that when we get to put a face on you know, our text messages and it looks kind of like us? Well, Christ wants to use each and every one of us as an avatar. And we're up there with Him and we get to part with, partner with Him up there while He actually manifests Himself in your body. People need to see Jesus. They need to encounter Jesus. And if we don't do it, who is going to do it? People say, oh, well, God's been showing up, you know, in the Arab nations. Jesus has been showing up the man in white or whatever. Well, the Christians over there don't like that story. Because they say, well, just quit telling that story. He's taking our job. That's what we're supposed to do. Like they get it. And this is the most glorious thing ever to get out of the way and let the Lord commandeer us and use us as an avatar. So, takes me to my next point, obstinate. We're called into boldness. You know, Jesus ain't scared. He ain't scared of nothing. He is not scared. The only thing that keeps us from stepping into this is that we allow fear to rule our lives rather than living from the place of fellowship with, with the Lord, with the triune God. Typically, the ones that are the scariest are the ones that are the closest to actually being ripe and ready to fall off the tree. And the church is called to be there to catch them when, they, when their fruit drops, so to speak. So this fella, it was 
it was crazy. The story I just told you about um, the guy that I got to minister to, uh, I was talking to another guy that was just sharing with me. He looked rough. He was having a rough time. And he was sharing with me that he had uh, some in-laws over. And the way he described his uh, one of his in-laws was that this guy's a mess. I mean, a mess. And as a matter of fact, the other members, they're just a, an absolute mess. And this guy's a believer. And I said, buddy, they need Christ like so bad. They need Christ. That family has never encountered Christ. The whole lineage of people, it's amazing that they're still alive because they're on a, on a collision course with death, hell, and the grave. And I said, the whole reason why you're part of this family is probably so that you are the point of impact. You are the rallying point of the living God that they can encounter God through you. And oh, well, that, now that sounds judgmental for me to say like, oh, it's more works, do whatever. I said, no, you got to understand that there's a life that you can live, that you, when you get your perspective right, when you're able to see that you're not scared of anything, it's fear that's keeping you. Fear of confrontation, fear of rejection, fear of the pain that they're going to lurch over your way. And yet the Lord did all of that for us on the cross, and that's part of the message. That's part of the demonstration of the gospel is actually fearlessly standing up in the face of opposition persecution, things that are uncomfortable. And I was literally standing there telling him the avatar thing, and this guy steps up. This guy just comes walking in. The guy that had his um, prostate removed. And the, the chances of me being in that place because of the favor that I was going to do for that guy, he called me a couple weeks before, and I said, yeah, just go whatever. And the fact that I was there was just a divine appointment. But the object lesson that happened there was just, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Holy Spirit fall in a public place like that, somebody get ministered to. I, I know that healing, no healing, whatever. The guy encountered God. He encountered Jesus. I was so full of the Spirit that I had left myself out of the way, and yet I'm still there, still in all of my... But he's driving the bus, and I'm just looking at him. Kind of like I'm looking at you right now. I can see you. Full of the Spirit. Full of Jesus. Now, y'all are used to that. People that are doubled over in brokenness and sickness and everything else, they're not used to that. They come into confrontation with the living God and they get changed. The Lord's more in, uh, concerned about eternity. And yet it's so bountiful and abundant and expressive that he just like heals everything while he's at it because that's what, there is no sickness in heaven, amen? Heaven is coming here and we bring it. So obstinate, we're called into boldness. Jesus is not scared. But I've, I will admit I'm the same way, but none of us like to go do those hard things or those difficult characters in our life that you're like, man, I... Somebody else needs to minister to that. I'll pray for them, but there's, there's something different that happens when we allow ourselves to get out of the way and allow Jesus to take over. So verse 28 says this in our text. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. See, what he's talking about here is in the delivering of the gospel message, if you're the town crier, you're the person that shows up and says, hey, everything's going to change. 
It's time to get your affairs in order and start abiding according to this new way of life that's coming upon you. That would be the repent for the kingdom is at hand, but that would be of any empire taking over. That when you're there and you're the guy out there crying out and you've got all these people out here and lots of people, they don't want to change. They like the way things are, especially if they found some sort of advantage in it. That's where the beatitude come in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek and all that, which I was going to do today, but the Lord said, know this. Whose news is it good to? Not everybody likes it. But when you are obstinate, when you are steadfast in your message and you're not wavered, you don't change, you don't soften it, you just deliver in the Spirit of Christ. It actually shows them that you're for real, that this kingdom is for real. If you start wimping out or whatever, they go, yeah, that's not really going to happen. That guy, I can tell, he's scared. The good news is, is that Christ is like a lion He's not called the Lion of Judah for nothing. And when we manifest the Lion, we can be not a jerk. So I'm not talking about being, you know, oppressive in our uh, delivering of the gospel. I'm talking about being unterrified. Do not be terrified by your adversaries. Does that make sense? Any and all kinds of fear gets in the way. So God's called us to live a life of fearlessness, Right? Because this kingdom that's coming is a kingdom of love. The love of the Father. There is this need for us to understand that and walk in that love. To be so loved by the Lord that it perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. So I'm saying any fear in your life actually interferes with you in the gospel. That do, you, do you just look at your neighbor and said, God's called you to be fearless. It is your day that the Lord is going to deliver you from all fear of any kind at any time. Because any fear of any kind will influence your ability to carry the gospel. It's bigger than just us. We're always one of, oh, me and my stuff. And the Lord's like, you died. I got all that stuff. I need you over here. Because that's what you're about now. So I... um. I had a day, uh, you know, usually I'm, I'm an upbeat guy. I don't get down very often, but I had a day where uh, I took the bait on something to fear about, and it made me grumpy. It changed my countenance, and it was based off of fear. And I was going to get my trash and take my trash up, and uh, my neighbor next door called out to me. And I was like, man, I got this grumpy look on my face. I, don't, I really don't want to engage because uh, I don't want him to see that I'm grumpy. I don't have that bubbly manifestation of Jesus happening at the moment, right? And uh, the guy cried out to, called out to me a second time, and, and the Lord was like, you better smile at him and say hi. And so I, I hey, how are you? You know, I, I, good, yeah, you good, good. And I kept on, and I just thought, oh, and the Lord convicted me in that moment. He said, you're not a very good neighbor. And I said, Lord, he, he's African-American. He's black. I, I don't know how to relate. As a matter of fact, we talk about taking the gospel to all nations. The Lord is teaching me right now that I don't have to get on a plane. Across the street, I have Asians. Next door, I have Indians. African-American, African-American. 
And I was convicted. I got in my truck and I'm headed to work. And I said, Lord, and he said, it's just no excuse. It's no excuse. You got to love your neighbor. And I said, Lord, I, they're all different cultures. I don't understand them. I don't know how to bless them because I know I've learned this from the Lord that evangelism looks like giving. Okay. Typically, our evangelism experience is all about taking. We're trying to take ground and capture people and get them to sign a card that says that they believed in Jesus. But what God is saying is that that's not the way it works. It is so not the way it works. You really want to see the world turned upside down? You have to give yourself to the world. And I've already learned this. It was very painful. Uh, but that's easy to do with white people, for me, or with rednecks. That's real easy. I'm serious. I, I was like, I got it, Lord. I got this given thing. Look, people are receiving Christ. It's great. He said, no, the whole world. I said, Lord, I don't know how to connect. And he said, well, why don't you give them something? I said, well, I don't know what they like. The first thing I do, if I pick something, I'll be, you know, thought of as a racist or something. If I like, I don't even want to say anything, but just things that white people tend to think that other cultures like. I'll screw it up, God. And he says, how about something you like? What is something you like? And it's like coming up on Thanksgiving. And I was like, fried turkey. How many know that those aren't easy to do and they're not cheap? And he said, now you're talking. Now you're talking. Fry him some turkey. So I fried 10 turkeys this year. I'm wore out. <laughs> and the Lord spoke to me and he said, if you'll do that, I am going to fund this project. He said, reach out to your neighbors and bless your neighbors and don't even give it a second thought about what it cost. I'm paying the bill. So it's easy for me as a steward, you know, like in my business, uh, I understand that I have to front a bunch of money to get y'all's cars fixed or whoever's cars or the boat or whatever. And then I get the money later is paid one the thing. So I get the idea. And the Lord's saying, yeah, I'm going to do that. This, is, this one's on me, Right. But it still has to be on me, right, to, to start. So this is this partnering, being, being in that cup with the Lord. And so I, I, um, I go a couple of days, maybe a week, because this is a week or two before Thanksgiving when he gave me this conviction. And I've already shared it with our home group. Because our home group has already bumped into one of the neighbors. Our home group is exploding and, you know, not a whole lot of places to park. We had a neighbor get upset about where we parked in front of his house and reacted very poorly. And I thought no one would act that way just about a parking spot. This is about something much deeper. And if we just take it to a spiritual level, there's probably something going on there that is rejecting this idea of, you know, having church at home. I'll let you connect the dots on that. But when the Lord told me to bless my neighbors, it included that one. And I thought, ooh, okay. Okay, I'm going to try the obedience thing. You know, a great thing about being in um, fellowship and accountability circles with people uh, is that they hold you, you know, accountable. And, um, you know, being the pastor, you say, well, who are you accountable to? Well, like Duncan Smith and uh, some other folks. But uh, Duncan had actually um, said to me while I got to spend time with him, because I noticed, I didn't notice until he brought it up, 
but that God would tell me things and I'd be like, Lord, that's awesome. What an amazing revelation. I'm going you know, to do that, Lord, someday. Like I'm supposed to write a book. He gave me a book with all the chapters like 10 years ago. And I said to Duncan, yeah, the Lord told me whatever. And yeah, I'm going to do that. And he said, are you always that disobedient to the Lord? And I was like, <laughs> I never looked at it like that. You know, it's like sometimes we want to pick and choose about when the Lord speaks to us. We want to pick and choose about what thing will actually walk out. And I mean, my relationship with God has progressed to a place where I'm much quicker about obeying the voice of the Lord and acting on it. You guys, this thing that's coming, it will never happen until we get to that place. If we're going to be like, oh, well, you know, that's a great idea. God, and talk about, I heard God. You know what he said to me? He said I should make some turkeys for the neighbors. Isn't that amazing? And then I don't do it. It just doesn't count. As a matter of fact, a lot of people say, I can't hear God. I don't know. I don't understand why I just can't hear God. Everybody's having a good time. It's probably because whatever he told you last, you didn't do. All right. Sorry. Not sorry. My last point, suffering shared. This is the best part of faith and grace, okay? Verse 29 says, and 30, for to, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Huh? Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. You know, when I read this, the Lord put this, these couple of verses, these three verses on my heart. Um, it's been about a month now, just burning inside of me. Like, Lord, what are you saying about this? <laughs> it's been granted to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him. Here's the other side of the gospel, but also to suffer for his sake. It's a gift. That word granted is charizomai. It's the same place we get grace, which is the word charis. Charizomai. It's actually a grace. It's a gift. It's unmerited favor. It's a blessing. Not just to believe in Him, but to actually suffer for His sake. Now, I want to talk about these words because it sounds demented. So the word believe is pistio. If I said that right, I'm, or not, sorry. Pistio. It's the, it's the root word of that is where we get the word faith, which is pistis. Okay? So it's been gifted to you not just to believe on behalf of, on behalf of Christ, not just to believe in Him, the outworking of faith, not a faith that is Alan did such a great job a couple weeks ago about talking about faith. But not just to have this idea of we believe in God, like, oh, isn't that amazing? I bumped into God. You know, people bump into God all the time, but bumping into Him and saying, yeah, I acknowledge that He's there is different than this word. Believe in Him means that there's like an action involved with that faith, that because you believe in Him, you actually fry the turkey. Am I making sense? So it's been granted on behalf of Christ, which would be the gospel, not only to walk that out, but also to psyche, to suffer with him. He's actually saying that it's, a, it's actually an honor and a gift 
that we would experience some pain associated with the walking it out and the frying of the turkey. Thus the neighbor that was mad at me, right? Suffer, that <clears throat> word suffer is pasco. It, it's to experience a sensation or impression, usually painful, to be affected or to have been affected, to feel, to have a sensible experience. So we talk suffering for the sake of Christ. It doesn't mean necessarily that I'm locked in prison and I'm getting hit in the head with rocks or they're beating me with stones or, or, or with uh, whips or whatever. It actually means that there's something about standing there embodying Christ as we're talking about the rallying point, it, being that person full of the Spirit that is a blessing for you actually to come into the feeling of, oh, that hurt because they don't like Jesus. They don't like what He's dishing out. And in that place, will you pray for those that spitefully use you and persecute you and take advantage and throw your name out as evil? Rejoice in that day, Jesus says. Ha! For great your reward in heaven. Now we have a hard time connecting with that, but I'm telling you right now that there's no other way. And you guys know. You guys know when you have chosen, when you've shared God with people and they kicked back at you and rather than blow up and say, oh, well, yeah, well, we're going to, you know, and, and react rather instead to without fear. It's a posture that we carry. Well, we can still honor and represent that or honor and bless that person for who they are and where they're at and understand there's something more going on in that person. They need to be set free and need to be delivered. And we're not going to shine light on that. Oh, you just need Jesus. You're demonized. You don't want to say that. God told me you do not have the right to shut your heart out, right? Because in the kingdom of God is this forgiveness where Jesus' arms are wide open, nailed open, where there is always this embrace, this taking in of us and forgiving us. That as we step in and receive that forgiveness, we too have to leave our hearts open, wide open. And you know what? When people lash out at us, it's actually a blessing for us to embrace that pain because we relate, we identify with Christ, not just in all of the special glorious stuff, but also in His suffering, which is the most glorious expression of faith you will ever experience. But if we're always kind of squirming out of those things because we're scared to get in a conflict, you're never going to see the gospel grow. It's usually through those kind of things like that that the most amazing miracle happens and that person is so close that they're ripe for the gospel and they get saved, radically transformed. And everybody that knows them, maybe a whole town will look over and go, oh my gosh, now that's a transformation. Do you see what I'm saying? The most impossible, difficult people to live with are the ones that need us the most. They need to be delivered. Oh. Conflict, agon, it just means a place of assembly. It's actually related to this idea of the, uh, the, grain, the games that the Greeks played. You know, this idea of, um, I know before I've mentioned the, the movie Gladiator, but a team that's assembled there together in a battle, so to speak, and fighting it out. That, you know, we don't do this alone. We're in it together. Thus, the uh, striving together for the gospel. Amen. So guess what? Uh, I just put it on my calendar and I was like, oh Lord, I don't, I'm a busy person. 
you know, to fry five turkeys, it's going to take all day. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. So I go to Walmart, and uh, I like to mark out, uh, you know, a lot of time for it. So I go on Tuesday night. I go to Walmart, and it's the Walmart by my house, which is packed. It's packed. The parking lot's packed. I'm overwhelmed. I never go in there, so I don't know where anything's at. I go, and I'm picking up all these turkeys, and, all, and I'm looking at them because I'd rather cook like 15-pound turkeys. But all they have is like 20-plus pounders. I'm like, oh, my gosh, those don't hardly fit in a fryer, right? And they're heavy, and they cost more. But I'm thinking, okay, Lord said don't worry about the cost, so I'm just sparing no expense here. So I'm like, cool, it's on his dime. I'm just grabbing turkeys, you know, and I load up this cart. Uh, and then, you know, the peanut oil is $50 a box. And so it takes a box and then some per turkey, right? So I've got all these, and, and the cart's like piled up like this. And I mean, it's so heavy. I mean, it's got to weigh, you know, 600 pounds or something. I'm like, you know, pushing this thing around. And, you know, I, I, just being honest, I've got degenerative disc and some arthritis and stuff. So I'm feeling, you know, tingling in my feet and knees are popping from the pressure of pushing this cart. As I'm going down aisle for aisle, I'm looking for, you know, I get the injection, marinade injection stuff because I, I put uh, Creole butter in them and rub them down with spices, all this stuff, right? And uh, so I'm looking for all the things that I need. I'm looking for oven bags. That's a whole other side because, you know, you don't want to just take them a turkey. You get a, we, we wrote out a nice thing, you know, God bless you from the Pignatelli's. Thank you for being a great neighbor, blah, 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 whatever. And on the back, instructions on how to reheat it without it getting dry, right? So you got to put it in a bag, put it in the oven, heat it back up. So anyways, I'm going through all this trouble. I mean, it's like an hour and a half in Walmart walking around, you know, pushing this big old cart. I probably should have got the little stuff first, like aluminum foil. Anyways, so I do all that, and then I go to the self-checkout, you know. And people are looking at me like i got four heads. What in the world are you doing? I'm like, feeding the neighborhood, huh? You know, as I'm scanning, you know, I, and I'm alone. And I'm like, oh, Lord, my back is hurting, my knees hurt. And, I, and I'm, I'm doing this thing, and I'm just thinking, Lord, this is a lot of trouble. Yes, son, it's a lot of trouble. <sighs> I go out into the parking lot. And I'm lost. I forgot which entrance I came in. It all looks the same. The guy going ding, 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 ding with a Salvation Army guy. I thought, well, I came out the door with a guy. Later, I discovered that they, at every door they got a guy doing that. I was like, oh, my God. For a minute there, I thought somebody stole my truck, and the, and the parking lot is angled up like this. So here I am, like, my back's popping, and I'm pushing, and my knees are going out, and I'm like, oh. I was just like, Lord, you asked me to do this, and I'm obeying you, but this is... This hurts. And he's like, now you're getting the point. I'm like, oh, okay, Lord, it, this is an honor. This is an honor. This is a blessing. And I finally find my truck. It's, I, I couldn't have been further away from my truck because there's so many cars I can't even see. And there's no lights in that parking lot. I don't understand that. It's dark out there. So anyways, I get home and, you know, you got to thaw the turkeys. You got to do all this prep, right? Uh, the next day, I, I start at like 10 a.m., and I got to set up this, this whole rig, you know, all these burners and stuff and get the oil going. And the turkeys have to be doctored and injected and all this stuff. It's all this work. It took hours. It's, I think it spent six hours. Lauren, help me. Thank you, sweetheart. And, um, and then the boxes, I was like, you know, so we had to put Christmas wrap on the boxes. I don't want to just walk over there with a turkey. So we, we put boxes with Christmas wrap and, and put a tag on it and all that. Okay, well, I'm, I'm just wore out by the time I get through frying all these turkeys. And I mean, I'm making sure they're right. You know, you got to watch the temperature. You keep messing with the, the heat and all that. Again, back popping and all that. And it starts to rain in the middle of that. And I was like, Lord, 
everything in me was like wanting to, to, to go to the place where, man, I don't know if God actually asked me to do this. Why, why would he make it rain? Okay, Do you realize that God asks you to do stuff that's hard? He doesn't care if it's raining. So we scramble, and I got this tent thing. Oh, yeah, I got a tent. You know, it's like a pop-up deal from Academy. That, and uh, we get that going. I'm still out there doing that. And then we're, we're hoofing it to get these turkeys in the bag, get them cooled off, get them in the bag, and all that. Now it's time for me to go and manifest Jesus and knock on somebody's door. I am not feeling like Jesus right now. I'm not in the, I'm not in the greatest of moods. I'm not in a bad mood, but I'm just exhausted. How many of you know that he operates from a place of rest? You need rest. Well, I wasn't very rested, but I was obedient. And I took it to the first neighbor. And they were like, huh? Whoa, thanks. And the family's all in the background going. <laughs> I thought, wow, that was a success. You know, that went off well. And I go to the second neighbor. And keep in mind, these are all people that are not like me. I just, we said, hey, I hope you enjoy this fried, Cajun fried turkey as much as we do. Something that we love, just exactly what God told me, right? I go to the next one, ding dong, you know, they come to the door and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just want to thank you for being a great neighbor. And I give them the turkey. Oh, okay. That neighbor was so impressed, he called me and said, you know, thank you so much. God bless you, blah, 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 right? So then I go to the neighbor that I know that's got an issue with us having church at my house. And the guy just mocks me and wants to argue and insults me and it was just not pleasant. And I just stood there and smiled and I begged him to take that turkey. I said, come on, man, just, I made this for you. This, this took me hours and it was, I spent like a hundred bucks on this turkey. That's what they cost, about a hundred bucks to do one, right? And he's like, nah, man, get out of here with that thing. And the Lord said, you do not have the right to shut your heart to that man. I was like, oh, okay. But I felt the pain of it. And all night, being honest with you, I, I had to like, commandeer my thoughts to, to not make arguments in my mind if I should have told him and I could have said this and I, I, you know, and try to justify myself. This is what I'm talking about. That it's actually a gift, right? So I take it to the other, the other neighbors and they're like, wow. And, you know, in that moment, it was like, sorry, I haven't come over. And, you know, and we're actually, I'm so-and-so and, you know, from, where, from wherever, whatever, right? All that went great. But I, so I had that and I'm so tired, I just go to bed. I didn't, I wasn't feeling super spiritual. Matter of fact, I felt kind of, I felt the pain of, of rejection and the, and the pain of, uh, uh, you know, I could say persecution. I don't know if that's quite persecution, but just of, of being insulted and whatnot. Like basically you're saying to me, you don't want to be my neighbor. This had nothing to do with a peace offering between what had happened. I'm giving it to all the neighbors. <laughs> that's how I am. I mean, that, God called me to be that way, right? the next morning after I've had some rest I'm wrapping up I really am and then we're going to take communion here in a minute the next morning as I'm, as I'm rested and I wake up and I spend time with the Lord in the morning I'm, I'm worn out right and I'm having a cup of coffee and I just watching Facebook videos y'all ever seen on Facebook where there's a video button where's just random dumb videos that you know sometimes I can really just be entertaining, like turn your brain off and laugh at whatever. Well, there's, there's this thing on those videos where there's um, people of other cultures and they're, they're kind of showing off their, um, their creativity and their industrial strength, so to speak, of how they do crude ways of making 
tools or making uh, uh, big gears or whatever. Anyways, typically I see those and I'm, I'm somewhat impressed. You know, maybe there's a guy making a house out of bamboo, whatever, you know, those kind of things. Um, but I, I watched a couple of videos and it was like Chinese people, Arab people, um, Indian people, and they were dirty, wearing strange clothes. Like, I don't know if you call that a burqa or whatever, you know, the man would have a thing that comes down here, funny little hat. But they're all dirty, they're barefoot, they're digging around in the dirt and all that. And I have never in my life felt more love and compassion for people that don't look like me, ever. And I identified with them. I remember when I was working on cars for 30 years, and I was dirty, and people would look the other way at the gas pump. And I was able to embrace their humanity and feel the love of Jesus for them because the night before, we prayed for the neighbor, like earnestly prayed for his heart, to, for him to be blessed and for him to meet the Lord. There's something of a blessing that we encounter that the word is not lying, that it's been granted to you on behalf of the gospel, on the behalf of Jesus Christ, not only to walk out your faith in him, but to suffer for his sake. The same way, involved in the same conflict, the same battle, in the same arena that you see me in. I'm in prison and you're not. But it's still part of the Christian life that is the most precious thing we could ever do. It transformed my heart. And that doesn't, that's the most important thing is our ability to keep our heart open, which is exactly what God was dealing with when I was backing out of my driveway and he said, you're not a very good neighbor. And I said, Lord, I don't know how to connect. Okay, so let's take communion. I think one of the coolest videos I saw was there was one where these guys are building a building and there's like five floors and somebody's shoveling dirt to make the cement. So they're making a concrete building. And in unison, they're all shoveling and throwing the dirt up to the next one all at the exact same time. I thought that was the coolest. Just a little kiss from the Lord. This is what it looks like. If the world doesn't encounter us in this way, they're not going to encounter Jesus. We always talk about being the hands and feet of Christ. We need to be the heart and the eyes of Christ. We need to be the arms that are nailed always open. Amen? Whew. Become the avatar, the canvas, the cup. So as we take the cup, I want you to take it with that realization that yes, this cup, his broken body and his blood poured out for us as we receive it, the communion part of it is that we say yes to allow him access to our cup. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.